0: We have all those insights available to us and we have perhaps an evolved consciousness and we have this new phenomenon in Bitcoin that I just, I get the overwhelming sense that we're meant to kind of pull the the best of all those things together such that we can develop the next stage of that a priori value framework by which to better orient our lives, our cultures, our civilization by. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe
1: firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit.
2: Thanks for joining us again here at the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. Today we are joined by John Vallis, he is the host of Bitcoin Rapid Fire and Closing the Loop podcasts. As far as philosophical thinkers in the Bitcoin space go, Vallis is on our short list. John has a profound ability to draw profound and original ideas in Bitcoin from a deep understanding of history, philosophy, and religious teachings. It's said that new ideas are formed in the subconscious when you expose yourself to wide-ranging fields of thought and draw parallels between them where none seemed to exist before. Vallis employs this to great effect. We had a wide-ranging conversation from philosophy to religion, psychedelics, spirituality, and of course we spoke about John's new piece, Money Messiah, and how it was inspired by Jordan Peterson's book, Maps of Meaning. We hope you enjoy this, and as always, you can find us on Twitter at blue underscore BTC, or email us at podcast at gmail. Blue Collar Bitcoin is sponsored by CoinKite. CoinKite is the maker of the cold card the block clock, and the open dime. If you want to protect the billions of dollars you have stolen from an exchange hack, we at BCB highly recommend the cold card. Seriously, what kind of clowns go through the trouble and have the expertise to steal 3.5 billion in Bitcoin and are dumb enough to hold the keys in the cloud? If they'd use a cold card, especially in a multi-sig setup, they would likely still control their stolen keys. All this is to say that if you want ultimate security for your legitimate or illegitimate Bitcoin stack, cold card is your answer. Use code BCB, that's blue collar Bitcoin, BCB for 5% off when you order your cold card. They just released the Mark IV. We would highly recommend you order the new version. Check them out, Coinkite.com.
1: All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. John Vallis, welcome to the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast.
0: What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. We're uh,
1: we're pumped to have you. Just uh, quickly uh, for Susie B, um, we are all shirtless, and we did ship John some turnout gear and a fire helmet. So this video will not air, but that is that is what's going on right now. I'm actually Susie. wearing
0: the um, the fire hose underwear that Susie uh, <laughs> I love up for all of us right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, Man. so she sent this picture of basically risque turnout gear with a with a fire hose in a very convenient uh explicit location and then josh LDH. responded and said yeah, that was needs LDH to be LDH. Hose, yeah yeah large diameter hose which is what we yeah. carry on our rigs you know so. <laughs> and in our of pants course. of course we're uh we're seriously we are stoked to talk to you big fans of both of your podcasts and um share a lot of your philosophical bent and the desire to explore beyond just the monetary and financial and into the philosophical Implications of this protocol. So, this is an open ended convo. There's so many areas we could explore. Why don't we just start with the basics, get it out of the way, tell our audience who you are and uh, how you came into this
0: space? Sure. Uh, I host the Bitcoin Rapid Fire podcast and I work with CT and host their podcast and do some other stuff and trying to push value for value and podcasting 2.0 forward as a means of monetizing digital content and getting away from the censorship, be it explicit or implicit in, t- in the form of advertising and that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I've i always been a bit of a contrarian, anti-establishment, you know, don't really believe what's being passed down in the mainstream realm. And um, I was a gold bug prior to Bitcoin. And when Bitcoin came on the scene, I was super interested. I a friend and I wanted to buy, we, you know, psychedelics has been an integral part of my uh, intellectual and spiritual development, let's say, for the last 15 years, or or maybe, you know, going on 20. And uh, we wanted to buy DMT on the Silk Road. And so we were introduced <laughs> to Bitcoin that way. And we ended up pussing out because, you know, who knows about getting, you know, DMT delivered to your, you know, who's watching all that kind yeah. of stuff. Better use a PO and, box. Yeah. And, and you know, buying Bitcoins at the time was difficult, too. I think you had to, like, send a money order to Mt. Gox or something like that. Um, and so I just watched on the sidelines and I was listening to Andreas, you know, back in 2013 timeframe and I was on a trip to Bali in 2014. I think it was 14. I always get confused if it was 14 or 15, but in any case, there was a physical Bitcoin store there and I was like, Oh, perfect. This is my chance. You know, and I only had hundred bucks cash on me. So I bought hundred bucks of Bitcoin when it was $350 a Bitcoin, which, you know, God, I wish we had those prices again uh, yeah, today. It worked out Okay yeah yeah yeah. not not bad for a stop in you know after lunch but um and then you know since then it's been, just been like a, a slow steady or not so slow anymore really it's kind of like you know full velocity down the rabbit hole but it was like kind of creeping creeping i i was really attracted to the idea of uh separating money and state so a non-government money so that they couldn't get away with all the fuckery that they they do and still do um and uh yeah, as you learn more and more about it, you just get further drawn in, you further see the potential, and you, you allow yourself to believe that it's actually real. That was my big stumbling block. Like I, I was more interested in it as a political instrument than an economic one initially. I was like, "Wow, this is what we need. Mm-hmm. We need money that government can't touch." And I, you know it's weird because I, I have always been economically or financially minded in making investments and stuff like that. And I would see it go up, and I'd be like rooting. I'd be like, "Awesome! Like this thing actually has a chance." And you know, it was only later on I was like, "Wait, I should be investing more heavily in this," you know, because it it is going up like that. And um, and yeah, I mean, I, in 2018, I I was living in China, and um, I started my career in finance and moved to natural medicine after that. I was in China, and I didn't like the situation with my job and was kind of tired of of living there. So I went to Thailand and took kind of like a year off and that just I couldn't resist having conversations with other you know people that were crazy about Bitcoin and just getting all this off my chest out of my mind all that kind of stuff and it turned into the podcast and I guess it's been running for two years now and you know on your point about the it's like I come off as someone who likes to go deep into the more deep or philosophical or cosmic aspects of Bitcoin I mean, maybe there's an element of that, but I honestly just think it's my natural curiosity and desire to understand what this thing is that just keeps pulling me in that direction. Like I, I have no desire to like be known as like a cosmic Bitcoin person, but yeah. I I keep asking like, what is this thing? What yeah. is this thing? What is this thing? And like, none of the answers are sufficient. Like, just leaving as yeah, it's a, it's a non-government money. It's got an absolute uh, limitation, so it's kind of like gold and it can't be inflated it's like is that all it is? And the answer just comes back no, keep digging. Yeah, no, yeah. keep digging. And and that's what leads me into these uh seemingly esoteric or or unusual places. But that's what we're drawn into and then the more time I hang out there, the more it seems to be a valid like those connections seem to be valid. And I think what we're all trying to do is is be, is ask those questions like what is this thing? And then you have in the background this phenomenon that I do you know, that I think is the most interest, interesting element of Bitcoin to explore, which is how much it changes people. Like, like, and some people it's only minor and other people it's like gross and like in large, I mean, and, uh, and profound. And it's like, why is that happening? There's this like thing that you can't see, taste, smell, or touch living on the internet. That's causing people to have dramatic transformations of their consciousness and their life and their values and what they want out of life. And mean, it like, yeah. You know, and so what's going on with that? And that, that, that those are the questions that I think are the most relevant, and therefore I spend the most time exploring them.
2: I think, um, a lot of people, when they start to really grok this thing, and as Foss likes to say, it's mathematics, but what it is is mathematical truth. It's like an anchor point for you to have something in this world that is non movable, non manipulatable, and you can kind of tie your hitch to that thing and you can weather these crazy storms having this this unstoppable force helping you along the way like it's and the deeper you dig down this thing the more you understand that nothing and no one is going to change it and by you know by anchoring anchoring yourself to this you're you're putting yourself in a much much better position in the future um and i think that rabbit hole just gets larger and larger as you start seeing all of these different philosophical points And where they lead each individually down this hole, you know, it's it's crazy how deep it goes, and I don't think most of us have gotten close yet.
0: No, and there's so many elements to all this, and like one of them surely is like when you feel a more secure bedrock in your life, like a financial bedrock. Mm. Well, how does that make you feel in terms of? How does that free you up in terms of dialing down your anxiety about the future and therefore being able to more soberly assess like well what does make me feel good and what does give me meaning in by pursuing it and what kind of life do I want in the future and what kind of life do I see for myself and my community and my country and the world in the future like that all simply delivered by having a far like more securely viscerally felt foundation for your life rather than something that's just you know, the the melting ice cube are are continuously being siphoned away from you. And I also think, I mean, it's the case with all technologies and anything we encounter in the world, we kind of, I mean, this is what consciousness kind of does. Like we assess it. We look at a chair and we say, okay, what possibilities does that represent? Say, okay, it represents the ability to sit down when I'm tired. It represents the ability to chop it up for firewood, perhaps represents the ability to stand on it and reach higher up a tree or something like whatever it may be. But like, This is kind of how consciousness works and then based on the possibilities that that we derive from everything we encounter we develop a sense of what is or is not possible and therefore we we are able to determine how we want to maneuver that to accomplish the things that we desire inside the realm of that possibility and when you have you know things are it's almost like you could define the profundity of things based on how much they expand what is possible and as a result of expanding your consciousness you know and that's i'm not not trying to use psychedelic language or anything like that i mean it like when when something's introduced to your consciousness that profoundly extends the let's say the time horizon on which things in your life are relevant because your ability to express your will through something like the medium of money now extends not 10 years not 100 years but possibly several hundred if not more than that years and so now your consciousness and the relevance of your perception of the future is extended and expanded into that domain and so to what degree does bitcoin represent unprecedented previously you know heretofore unprecedented possibilities and i think the answer to that question is a lot and we're still discovering them and to what degree is are those new possibilities slowly re, you know changing our own perception of what is possible? And how does that change our own uh, our own desires and our own values to interact with possibility itself? And I think that, again, that's part of the answer of why this is having such a profound effect and transformative effect on people's lives.
1: One of the things too, John, that's so fascinating, and you explore the sum in your piece, Money Messiah, God, Bitcoin, and the Evolution of Consciousness, which we'll, I'm sure, get into more in this discussion. But is this sort of paradox that Limits and parameters can actually create more freedom in the world and in one's life. And what we're actually looking at here with Bitcoin has the potential to be sort of a a beacon of cooperation and constancy that like humanity's never had before. But it's almost through those limits that humanity can achieve their potential, which is very hard for people to conceptualize, right? But as 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 we're on an even playing field, all playing by the set of the same set of rules at a scale. That we've never been at before which which in my view is like the potential that bitcoin presents to humanity i think it really could unlock people individually and
0: collectively oh i totally agree i mean it's hard not to be hyperbolic when we talk about bitcoin right now i guess is. we're all oh, yeah. crazy bitcoin oh, yeah. people here so this is you know preaching to the choir but I, i'm just i constantly think like even us like that are deep in the weeds here we have no idea how much this is going to reorder things you know both and i mean the world we have the culture we have is all just a manifestation of our own behavior and our behavior is a result of our consciousness what happens internally and so when we say like oh my god the world is going to be like near unrecognizable in 50 100 whatever it is years that's going to be because we as individuals and our consciousness changes in a profound way not just going to be because like right economic things are more efficient it's going to be because all that just means that we will express different behaviors Mm -hmm. and those behaviors and the things that we build you know and uh, build upon those behaviors are going to be so divergent and different from anything that we've ever done and behaved like before and so and i think you know we're in for like a really even again like i said even uh, it's almost like that idea of that we can't really uh, comprehend exponentials, you know. We yeah, kind of right. are forced to think linearly, and this this applies even to ourselves. And I think that's the case here. Like this, this is going to be so disruptive in a good way to our, you know, how we interact with one another. And you know, hopefully, we're around to see it. You know, yeah, I do agree. I mean, we we talk a lot about
1: just being. Wholly unable to conceptualize the implications of this, and we're getting into the, you know we've gotten into some of the philosophical, but to get back just to brass tacks of like the valuation of this protocol, it makes me think of I was listening to uh, Preston Pish and Timmer from Fidelity this morning, uh, Pish's newest episode. First of all, anecdote: it's crazy to hear the like head honcho of global macro at the biggest brokerage firm in the world talking about Bitcoin. Like even even in the short four and a half years we've been around, it's just like pinch yourself. It's pretty wild. But right. he's, he, he basically says in the second half of the, of the discussion, he's like, we've never seen anything like this. When you add absolute scarcity with exponentially growing network effects, like this is the first asset that harnesses both those two things together. Mm. And it is like, it's wild to think about the implications, um, even just from a valuation perspective, right? Because
0: yeah.
1: yeah, it's going to, we say this all the time and I say this to Josh, but it's going to get weird, man. I think it's gonna get delightfully weird. I mean, there's gonna be some massive growing pains for humanity, but it's gonna be delightfully weird to watch the next few decades unfold. And this I mean, it's great. This is largely going to be the catalyst in my view. This 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 single protocol is gonna be yeah. the catalyst for this change.
2: I wanna I wanna go back real quick to the whole idea of consciousness and how we perceive the world. I recently uh, read David Eagleman's book, The Brain, and something that popped in my head when we were talking about this is He talks about the concept of how when we're born, our brains are almost like a marble piece that hasn't yet been chiseled into the marble sculpture. So we have this neural plasticity at that point that is then formed by our environment and vice versa. So it goes both directions, but our environment, our, our culture, all of these things, our parents all form this into what we are. And so people in their middle age to older at this point, like Bitcoin has been around for 13 years and they have this this non ability to really have accepted it in the world because it's just not how they grew up or what was what was the uh culture at the time but people i think in their 40s and younger have the ability to kind of slightly wrap their head around this but younger people they're just going to understand this natively. and i think mm-hmm. they do and that's also such an impetus for how quickly this is going to this is going to take over
0: yeah well i I've, I've got two comments on that the, the first is you know even this you know the piece that i put out which is is basically the thesis is something akin to like bitcoin represents something similar to another coming of a christ like messiah like character right and i know for some people that is just the most batshit insane <laughs> thing they've ever heard but you know read the piece and there there's more it's, logic it's uh, less less crazy yeah, there's more logic attached that I can't to that wait for my
1: brother to listen to that one with no background. <laughs> like, wait, what? I thought this is just crazy, stupid internet
0: millenni- um, right. that millennials trade in their basement. No, well, this exactly. Is the second
2: coming of Jesus. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. But the point is, is like, you know, two, three years ago, those conversations weren't happening. And now mm-hmm. I can tell you this, guys, like when I have like my private, or even on, on my podcast, I've been exploring this a lot lately, but I speak with a lot of people privately too, just, you know, on, on random calls. And these sorts of ideas are like bubbling up in a lot of people's minds. And so I'm thinking like, okay, like more people express this. We keep throwing around these ideas, trying to refine them, trying to get a grip on them. Where are we in, in, in five years' time with these ideas, in 10 years' time with these ideas? like, Because it's really, really happening fast. I mean, this whole Bitcoin thing on any historical scale is like, I mean, 13 years is nothing. Right. Like when we when we study Nothing. history, we're, we're looking at scales of like several hundred years for any material change to occur most often. Now, it seems like the the emergence of novelty in the world or the complexity of, of the world is excel, uh, accelerating. Right. And so there's all there's more innovation happening in a less period, of, a smaller period of time. But like this is just happening at breakneck speed. And yes. for and to your point about people changing, I mean, we, we referenced already that Bitcoin seems to transform people and fundamentally change their values and what they pursue in life and what they want out of life and like that level of change happening in but a couple years of like learning about and, and being involved in bitcoin is also insanely breakneck speed and this is you know there's a another corollary to psychedelics here because what psychedelics do even for people that have grown up in a very rigid conditioned, you know uh traditional culture let's say or even 60 years old like you said that have kind of like They've established the grooves in their consciousness of their behavior and who they are and how they see the world and their perception. psychedelics disrupt like that default mode network and they allow you to extricate yourself from that highly uh, conditioned or highly grooved perspective and inhabit for another period of time a different perspective and That can be so dramatically transformative for, for people and It seems very much the case that learning about Bitcoin and even I don't know. I mean, some people seem impervious to it, but like if you really have a, a genuine pursuit of understanding it, I almost think like this is, this is part of the phenomenon. It's like if you're, in, if you're so like intimately engaging with these principles, these principles of truth, these principles of freedom, even if you're not seeking them, I feel like they get imbued into that seeker because you're just seeking to understand. You're just seeking to answer the question in your mind that is, what is this thing? and maybe how can I use it and how can I benefit from it, but just by virtue of the fact that you're interacting with something that is immutable, like an immutable form of truth and something that's so, that instantiates a form of freedom that was heretofore not possible, I think just by virtue of that, you're the one that has to kind of contort yourself to make that make sense because this thing over here is not changing. And yeah. this may, again, be like one of the one of the one of the profound qual- or qualities of profound truth. It's like when you encounter something like that, you're the one that must change because it cannot, you know, yeah. And it, it seems pretty rational. Right. It, it's where
1: it starts to feel very spiritual and religious in a way, right. because like right. it's, it, for me, I've said this to my wife before, like. It, it's humbling, like to be at the feet of this protocol, like as dumb as that sounds like this thing is.
2: It's, Guys, it gets, let's just right to it. Bitcoin is God. Yeah, <laughs> that's, like that's this, thing give, here.
1: this thing doesn't give. This thing does not give it. a flying fuck what I think about it or what anybody else thinks about it. It is, hmm. it is so dramatically on its own playing field, and obviously human behaviors and incentives are make it do. You know, they're they're what make it tick. But it is like, in my view, it's such a. Fundamentally massive discovery, and it changes exi- existing paradigms so dramatically that honestly, I- I'm trying to think of a better word, but it's almost like humbling to be a part of it and to have the privilege to be able to recognize it this early. Yeah. And I think that's like it's what makes you grateful for people that have gotten you into it. Like, I am genuinely grateful for Josh. He is the one that introduced me to this. Oh, would stop. I have Bitcoin stop. today? Would I have it today? I probably would. Would I have? dove into it as hard as I did if it weren't for his prodding. No, and I know we all feel that way. You know, it's, it's yeah. obviously he's not the only one. There's tons of people that have influenced me on my journey. But um, yeah, I wanted to make another comment to double back to the generational differences because I think each generation sort of has its shortcomings. So, you know, we're saying, all right, to, to paint with broad strokes and to generalize, like boomers have a hard time grasping the inherently digital nature of value on this protocol. And so that that may be why they're late to the party. But now if we switch over to say Millennials and Gen Z, I think they really struggle to recognize the uniqueness of this single protocol. Like they've they've grown up in an era of easy money, you know, rampant liquidity, meme stocks. They've never lived through a bear market, at least in their their earning years. I'm saying a secular broad bear market. So everything's kind of gone up. So I do think As much as younger generations maybe are quicker to understand that, you know, digital assets can have value, I think that at least we're noticing they're a lot slower to maybe grasp the the specific implications of this
2: one protocol. Do you guys agree with that? I do. Now I was going to say I think they are just getting inundated with ten thousand different versions of Bitcoin that have some you know marketing marketable spin, and they're susceptible to thinking they found the better, newer, faster cheaper version, you know? And and that's just human nature. Everybody wants to buy wants their lottery ticket. Um yeah. This thing still is think, though.
0: I think they I mean, hopefully, who knows how long Fiat can survive, but they may be like the last Fiat generation, you know, the the apex of Fiat culture, right? And they've been inundated <laughs> with all the different signals from Fiat and so in a sense you can forgive them for being so high time fre- preference and so you know, want it to happen as fast as possible and be flashy and be new and be, you know, all this kind of stuff and responding in that way and seeing something that, you know, the the main selling point is it doesn't change. And, you know, it's a new base layer for civilization. It's like, nah, I want like an ape that's going to sell for $10 million tomorrow, like a JPEG of an ape that's going to sell for $10 million a month from now. And so the culture is, I mean, that's, that's kind of the problem. And I mean that like, if we're at peak fiat, I mean, one of the, The the all the signals in the culture or a lot the the, a lot of the signals in the culture are downstream from the money and the institutions that control the money and the institutions that determine its flows and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, if you're just a random normal citizen in that culture, I mean you're receiving so many perverted signals for your behavior, uh, which obviously greatly influence your consciousness. And then you end up just being a result of those signals. And it's no small task. To try to decondition yourself and defend yourself against those signals and to parse, you know, sig- true signal from perverted signal or noise in the world we live in today. It's super tough. And this is what, you know, I think, broadly speaking, the Bitcoin culture, it's emblematic of, of that culture, which in part, you know, necessarily what you must do if you, if you take that approach or if you have that intention, you're going to have to block out a lot just by virtue of the fact to, to say, I don't trust that signal, I don't trust that institution, I don't trust you people. And so not knowing how to, uh, not, not being able to trust you and not having a ready-made comparable mm. answer to act upon, I'm gonna abstain. But it means I'm not, I'm not engaging in your bullshit. And so, you know, Bitcoin culture is very much like get, a, like, get away, we don't trust you, we're gonna decide for ourselves. And if we can't decide right now on an educated basis, We're going to abstain. We're going to reserve judgment for now until the signals improve, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is when we talk about how culture is going to change under a Bitcoin standard and not being able to really, you know, envision it. All we can say is that the signals will be more pure and pristine. And by that, I mean, when you send out a signal of value through the money, it won't be perverted by changes to its supply and therefore perversions of its intent and how it propagates the the initial origin, will, and value that was initially sent from it. And so when we have that, and of course when we have the inability of institutions to just rent seek and impose ideology and their agenda by virtue of being close to the spigot and having the capital to do so, when that's all removed, then I think we get a culture that is far more grounded in truthful signal. And then we then it really gets interesting. Cause then we then it really, you know, even shines further back on us to say, okay, now what you put out into the world, like the world can hear you better, let's just say to kind um, of more fidelity. You know, exactly. And so what are you sending out there? It's more relevant now. You're more powerful in the world because your signal is actually going get, to get, make its way out there. And it's going to propagate just the same as anybody else's. So who are you? What are your values? What are your motivation? What are you about? What do you want to see happen? And, you, and you're going to get the truth of other signals too, right? There's no, there's no rounding the edges. There's no, there's no softening the blow, which again, if we're talking about this generation, I mean, peak fiat generation is, is that, right? Now, they, they've had uh, reality contorted to suit their ideology or their their emotional needs or whatever. And we're going to go away from that, I think, and go to a place of more truthful signal. And that, that's, there's going to be an element of that that's difficult. But I think that the reason why it's difficult is the same reason like changing ingrained behavior is difficult, just because it's uncomfortable. But what's on the other side of that is a far more integrated individual, and therefore a participant in a in a broader culture. And that's and I, again, I think the the emerging Bitcoin culture right now, as we see it, and mostly we engage with it on Twitter or at the Bitcoin conference or on these podcasts, is emblematic of that. If you want to see what it's going to look like, look at that culture and see some of the changes in behavior uh that are occurring there. You know, as I say, the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. You know, so we being, you know, further down the rabbit hole earlier than most people, we're emblematic of of what this change is going to be. And again, I'm painting with broad brushstrokes too. Some people are going to resist change more than others, yada, yada, yada. But that's the point, right? Like, and that's why I, I think it's so relevant and interesting that we explore this stuff because not only are we the ones to first be changed and transformed by this, but we're also just participating in this, this emergent process of discovering truth, discovering the highest values, discovering what we want the future to look like, discovering how to humble ourselves in the face of things that should be humbled to and stuff like that. And we're it's by no means determined already, but you can already start to see certain attributes being fairly... Uh, coalescing or elevating from that community. One of them, just to put a final point on this, is obviously the appreciation and value of honesty. Like if you come into the Bitcoin space and clearly dishonest or you're not telling the whole truth, you're going to get your ass handed to you by some people that use meany words. And you're not going to like that because you didn't come ready to have the courage to speak the whole truth. And that's amazing, right? We need more of that in society. And what do you know? This truth machine is causing us all to value truth more and yeah. honesty and things like that. So, and if you know.
2: If you've been in the space long enough, you've watched a few pretty large influencers put their hand on a hot stove oh, yeah. and uh, pull that thing back quick or just disappear into it. obscurity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it is yeah, it great. is fun to watch. I, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, just, I'm not going to comment on the one I'm thinking of, but
0: but nobody's sacred, right? Yeah, like, no. Look, I nobody. don't give a fuck who you are. You tell the truth, and you can be an idiot. That's fine. And you can like as long as you're upfront and honest with who you are and what your motivations are and what you're doing. There's a there, of course, there's a ton of allowance for being imperfect for everybody. But you yeah. don't just get to waltz in off the coattails of that you established in fiat world and act like you have any you know uh, great authority here. Authority is earned by the expression of your character, and that's what yes. I think. All of this like you know quote-unquote toxicity is from the community it's testing character i mean that's what because if we are really creating a a culture here which there's very little doubt in my mind that that that's what's taking place even if it's not consciously something we're trying to do that's what's happening uh determining the character of of the people that enter it and the basis therefore on which we're going to interact with one another is of paramount importance and i love that there's a you know a a first line of cyber hornets for people that come in and we get to see what people are about. We get to see like, yeah. why are you here? And what are your values? And what do you want to do? And what are your intentions? And and then the chips fall where they may. And we all make our own judgments mm-hmm. accordingly. And it's beautiful because we're coming out of a world where nobody was held to a, a, a standard of character. It's all just about what, you know, words word you used here and then, or what you look like or your status or who <laughs> likes you or who praises you. Not your character. We've gone so far away from that. Now we're getting back to it. It's beautiful. You're yeah, either Bit- forged
2: steel on Bitcoin Twitter you know, out of the for- out of the uh, met- metallurgy happening there, or you're cast to the leper island of Bitcoin SV. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the,
1: the, the Bitcoin community is
2: more than willing to spit out its heroes. I mean, when you oh, think
1: really? about like you think last year about Elon stepping in, and this is a massive uniqueness of Bitcoin because the wealthiest guy in the world stepping into this market at the magnitude he did like i think maybe i i was in the camp of like i thought he got it right and then he said some really really dumb shit like extraordinarily dumb shit that mm. some people have forgotten about and he got spit out like a bar of soap man i mean mm-hmm. and i still
2: don't think he gets it i just think that I, he I think he, to he does games. too
1: i think he got i think he got uh you know rift and that was a lot of that was an emotional reaction but it's just emblematic of Bitcoiners aren't worried about the, you know, hodlers aren't worried about the price cutting off forty percent. They're they're worried about true signal cutting through, and this is a massive uniqueness between Bitcoin and the rest of this crypto space. Right? It's just exactly, yeah. It's never too long game. Can that.
0: come back, like Elon or Dave Portnoy or whoever it is, can come back and be like, "Yo, yeah. I w- I was a little too arrogant when I came in. I messed up, whatever, whatever." But if Sell you, hands. you know, if you align with the principles of of this thing. And not of like the, that the community's imposing you on it. Again, it seems like these are being emitted from this thing. And, you know, if you come back with humility and wanting to learn and all that kind of stuff, then you, usually you get welcome with open arm. I, so- I th- yeah. And I think some of it's we,
1: most of us have been down this same journey. I mean, when we first encountered Bitcoin, we, we were enamored with it. Both of us went down the shitcoin path and came back. So you kind of, you're kind of ready and willing to watch other people go through this same process. Yeah. And yeah, I I do agree. People, people are absolutely welcomed back in if the, if the signal improves. I liked what you said earlier about, um, what did you say? Something like abstain until the signal improves. Like Mm -hmm. that makes me think of, to bring it back to investing, like the cohort of value investors who have basically like called time out. Like, hey, all right. We used to be really into this value investing thing, but the signals are so obscure and so hard to recognize. The PE ratios are all off. The discount cash flows are fucked because the money's not no good. And then you hear them say, like, you know, I'm thinking of to to reference Preston for the 800th time on the show, saying, like, I will absolutely resume my value investing regimen once the money's good again. Right? So it's that I love that we're going to abstain until the signal improves.
2: Even guys yeah. like Paul Tudor Jones, he's saying 5% Bitcoin, 5% commodities and 5% gold. I mean, a guy like him advocating 5% Bitcoin in a portfolio worth billions is it's it's crazy. And then Bill Miller is it's like he's 50% in Bitcoin right now. The guy, you know, is a massive like mainstream investor just sitting yeah.
0: 50% in Bitcoin. It's wild. Well, this is just a slow creep of Bitcoin becoming becoming the dominant macro item or issue in the world. Right. Again, like, I, I don't think what's happening here is Bitcoin is just finding its place amongst the milieu of financial investments in the world. Like, I mean, I just wrote totally really a piece called call Money Messiah, right? So it's going to have <laughs> a larger impact than just filling out a balanced portfolio. Like, I think this becomes the dominant ordering narrative of the world at some point. And, you know, all these different moves by different people, Bill Miller at 50%, uh, you know, Dalio at an allocation, whatever, like it, Countries starting to do it. I mean, this is just steps along the process of people realizing that what this thing represents is far more impactful and important than what you previously thought it did, you know? And I love Musk, even though he's a clown sometimes. I want to run to his rescue
2: here and say this He didn't put any Dogecoin on Tesla's balance sheet. You know, he I don't care what he says. I watch what he does. And what he does mm. is he owns two and a half billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Like that is a statement in and of itself. And I don't care what kind of stuff he says on Twitter, like till he starts selling that off and starts buying Dogecoin, then I'll pay attention.
0: But uh, But I think think, that signal is Think about like so many plebs on Twitter who are just all in and maybe then some, right. You know, get, get on zero, get on zero fiat, you know, the hashtag that's been going around. And like, I know everyone has their own ways of managing things, but just to say like, I mean that, that's a change in behavior, an unexpected one, that led someone to putting, you know, their entire financial like wealth into one asset. I mean, that's fairly unprecedented, of course, at least at such a broad scale, right? And I think, you know, ultimately a lot of people are gonna come to something like that, like a growing allocation until you kind of you can't allocate anymore. And um that's just, you know, I, I think that's just consistent with, with what we just said, which is that this thing is going to be seen increasingly as far more than just a way to, you know, uh, get some alpha or something like that. You know, it's uh, it's a much bigger deal than most most people think. And and we're trying to figure out how big of a deal it is. And we're winding up at these weird places.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: and we are. Yeah, that's the position we're in. We know it's a huge deal. How <laughs> big of a deal
1: is it is kind of what where we're strapped in right now. Yeah.
2: I think um, we all have an inkling. It's a huge deal. It's going to be a big swing and dick in the financial world in the next ten years.
0: That yeah, it is well, again, in, in like the when one once the nation state macro level game theory starts playing out, I mean it already has started. But like, yeah, you can see what Russia it's, just said, it's right? Not just a financial world thing, right? Like this will be the determining factor of which nations like survive or persist and grow, and you know, it's like it's going to be that. That macro incentive in the sky that is going to be determining how things play out down below it, you know, to uh, use some more playful language. But yeah, so it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a wild ride. Let's let's leave it there.
2: I'm just picturing playing. You guys ever play The Sims or like Sim City when you were kids? You know, yeah. you build like there's a city you kind of you build it from this small village up into this like medium sized town and then it turns into a big city and you can adjust the tax rates and like fuck with it and be God. I'm just picturing this as like a civilizational change here where like suddenly there's a little ticker on the bottom. It says Bitcoin invented. Like all of a this city starts like show, launching spaceships and like actually becoming like a Carter's M level one civilization. Totally. Like we're moving very quickly here. Yeah. Stim I mean, city Spets-
0: never even called this one. It's crazy. Spetsky just wrote a good article exactly about that, about how, uh, you know, Bitcoin is going to be allow us to pierce the great filter. And ascend to you know a different level of, of civilization. And and a lot of people have been joking, ish, half joking for a long time that at some point in the future we're probably gonna peg our time as you know pre-Bitcoin and post-Bitcoin. And and some people think that's absurd. But if we just if we go back to the idea of doing that with Christ, I mean, why did we do that? And maybe there's multiple reasons, but I think the obvious one is like that there was such a it, it, it was a demarcation point for such a profound change yeah. that people it was so clear that there was a way of you know being and culture and stuff prior and post, and that seemed like therefore a good you know pin to put in the ground to say we should we should mark time from from this point forward and just dis- make a distinction between pre and post. I mean it seems obvious that that's going to happen with Bitcoin too. I
2: definitely think at the very minimum, this is going to be remembered as a time of, like, the printing press and you know the Reformation and the, all of the amazing technological change that happened after that because people had access to actually they could read the Bible they weren't just told what it said because they couldn't read Latin they didn't have a, mm-hmm. a single priest to go to for information kind of like I I kind of draw a parallel between the mainstream media and the priest that used to get told what to think and what the Bible told you. Now there's yeah. an ability to go search, and you know you can research all you want. You can find the shittiest information or the best fidelity signal, but at least we get to parse through it ourselves, and we get to make our own determinations and make the best decisions we believe for ourselves. I think that but- is going to be this, sh- you know, this shift um, overall that Bitcoin is going to help us implement. What, what's interesting to think about is when you think about a lot of these
1: massive discoveries. Um, they are decentralizing forces in the world. So, like the Reformation was a decentralizing force; it took scriptural authority out of the hands of, you know, the few and gave it to the many. You could even argue that things like the internal combustion engine are a decentralizing force, right? It allows people to explore and expand on their own in a way that wasn't possible before. Mm-hmm. And Bitcoin is the same thing; it's a massive decentralizing force and empowerment tool for individuals. And I just I kind of see that that trend continuing through, through most of these innovations. I mean, the internet would fit in that category too, right? A massive, yeah. you know, overarchingly, There there's, there's some forces that are countervailing this now, but overarchingly, the internet was a decentralizing force.
0: Yeah. And I, I think these are all massively liberating forces too, right? Whether it's a more direct relationship with the ideas of God or whether it's a more the ability to travel across vast distances with the the engine the ability to, to you know gather more information and construct a more truthful uh, or at least independent perspective via the, the information from the internet and now this thing you know and so and again this, this kind of ties into the idea of the evolution of religious thought as we experience it because it seems to me that like it may be the case that humanity is inching closer and closer or moving further and further toward greater liberation you know greater individual liberation and and what does that mean like and i you know i think bitcoin if it changes the nature of the state if it gives people a greater sense of security over their their wealth you know the their money the emblem of their time and sacrifice and energy uh, if they're able to transact it however they see fit in whatever domin- denominations for whatever good or service with whomever they want like these these are all dramatically like step changes in 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 freedom and liberation and what happens when we have more freedom? Well I think it means the like the more genuine aspects of ourself at least have the opportunity to be expressed and this is what's really interesting and why i referenced earlier how the spotlight kind of turns back on us because if you don't have a certain like let's use a very over like obvious example if you're chained up in a dungeon somewhere like you're not thinking about how to express the artistic side of yourself and what paintings you might do or what you know businesses you might start innovations you might conjure up you're just like it's not part of your like we were talking about earlier it's not in the scope of your possibility because you're you're done for you're you're chained up but when those shackles, be they physical or, uh, you know, uh, psychological, get removed, well, then, it, you're, again, that pressure of that question is of who you are and what do you want to do or become ascend to more top of mind awareness. And then right. the answer to that question is like, well, I don't know, because, you know, I've never had that degree of freedom. And so I think yeah. part of the phenomenon that's happening here. Is a whole bunch of people realizing that they now have access to a greater degree of freedom than any human being has ever had access to. What does that mean in terms of Mm -hmm. who we want to become and what we want to express out in the world? And I I think it means something akin to like we dig even further into ourselves to try to understand ourselves and each other better. And then we try to determine what, you know, how we bring forth the kingdom of God in the world. Again, to use somewhat biblical, very biblical language. In terms of if we really are you know if there's a divine essence or spark in all of us you know call it a soul spirit source energy whatever your language is the more free we are i think the more able and free we are to interpret what that is and and actualize it into the world and what you know yeah maybe this is a forever process and we we just keep inching closer to greater degrees of freedom and liberation and this this is the, you know, the quote unquote spiritual path where every time we get more freedom and liberation, we have to try to figure out how that becomes expressed for greater good in the world or something like that. It's um, um,
2: It's also, I've heard it said that civilization moves forward by automation, like just automating tasks that used to be laborious. Suddenly, if they can be automated or they're kind of pushed down to the subconscious in a way, uh, you can now focus on whatever is more, you know, important at hand, like whether that be your art, your business or whatever it is. This is um, if Bitcoin is successful at what we think it will be successful at, it's gonna make investing much less important for people. You don't know you longer have a hurdle rate to beat. Bitcoin will hold your money for you. And if you want to try to get fancy or, or cute, you can go invest in some companies, but at the baseline level, you at least can save your money. And then you can go, you know, be fruitful with whatever else you're interested in. It's just like a the automation of that is is going to be really beneficial for people. You don't have to be a part-time investor and a part-time, you know, whatever else you are. You just do whatever you're good at and you save your money in sound money. It makes yeah, me
1: I- makes me think of Parker Lewis's piece, The Great Definancialization. It's part of his Gradually Then Suddenly series and it's maybe my favorite piece in that series where he talks about just how massive the financial sector has grown because of how complicated the monetary system is and because of the incentives behind fiat. But yeah, this is something that Really hits home for our, for our demographic. I mean, it is, even if you make the money and even if you have the free cash flow, now there's this next hurdle of trying to figure out where the fuck to put it. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it just, it's going to be hopefully simplifying money and how to store value in an inelastic supply vehicle is going to be a huge benefit to the average individual.
0: Absolutely. And, and like, like you said, like the average citizen shouldn't have to be a stock picker or delegate that job and therefore the expense to someone who claims that they can be that person, right? They, they should just be able to work and save and that be, should be sufficient to develop a foundation upon which to feel you know, safe and secure about your life and you know, the, you know, the options that you have in it and, and that kind of stuff. And we, as you said, I mean this, I think we will have a great financialization because like there's just this massive amorphous cloud of financial complexity right now that has an anxiety to settle because nobody wants to settle back into the thing that's, you know, losing value. So it just keeps getting more complex and more complex and more complex until, you know, it it breaks under its own complexity. It's a giant act. I wanted to make one final point on the, on the, um, the liberation piece. I think one of the reasons why a lot of Bitcoiners are beginning to pay more attention to or investigate or even adopt uh, certain religious traditions or practices is because when, when you are freed to that extent, right, when you don't have to go to the job that you hate, when you don't have to worry about food on the table or your rent or whatever, like the more degree of freedom and security you have, these questions, like we were saying about, well, what should I do and what should I become and all that kind of stuff, they bubble up. But naturally when, when you're confronted with those, uh, questions, I think you come up against that a priori value framework that actually helps you answer those questions. So when you're, when you're free, when, when all of your basic needs are met, you're not, you don't have any anxiety almost at all, or at least financially speaking, about the future, and you ask yourself that question, what should I do with my time? What do I want to build or become? Necessarily, the answer to that question comes from an underlying a priori value framework. And maybe that's culturally conditioned, maybe mm-hmm. that's familial condition, maybe that's spiritually, traditional, whatever. But that's precisely the thing that religions have been trying to answer since time immemorial. What is the best a priori yeah. value framework in order to lead to the best possible outcome or the best possible life, both right. individually and collectively? And so it's, it makes no wonder that once people are put in that position and they're confronted with that. They're looking at the, you know, the religious enterprise as, as more valid than they
1: did before. There, there's so much wisdom in recognizing that everybody is working off of a framework. And this is where we're getting into Peterson. It's like, so this is, you know, and I've, I've, I've hinted at some of my spiritual religious journey on this show, but like, I've gone through, this is co- sort of the phases of Dan, right? Grew up really conservative, evangelical. Um, I would, ca- although many people in the in-group wouldn't say it, I would call it fundamentalist brands of Christianity. Kind of bounced over to the other extreme of kind of throwing everything out on the front lawn. Now I'm trying to figure out which furniture to reintroduce. But I think one thing I discovered, John, was like throwing everything out and saying I have no framework is in and of itself a framework, right? It's just and a it's shitty just, one, and it's a be- it's a tough yeah. one because it's you're you're at your own whim, your own. Emotional dispositions that are transient, and and you kind of feel untethered, and that is actually, to be honest with you, in large part where I find myself. Right, and it's a, I think you know, in life, the truth is often far more nebulous and gray than we like to admit, Mm -hmm. and it's very easy. It makes sense that dogmatic belief systems proliferate, right, because they're easy. That the lines of demarcation are so simple. You know, fall into this framework and joy and peace and happiness will befall you. Um, and when you enter that gray area and you realize, hey, there is elements of truth, there's still things to grasp onto and hold onto here, but it's not as as cut and dry as I thought, that's a tough place to be. And I, and I sort of find myself bouncing back to figuring out what is that framework? What am I tethered to? Um, yeah, I guess that, that I want to ask this question because... I think some of this came through in your piece, "Money Messiah," but like, before we kind of dive into that, what is this is an impossible question to answer quickly, but like, what is your uh, opinion of Christianity and then just religions in general? Like, give us a thousand-foot view of how you, how you conceptualize these, you know, thousands-year-old belief systems,
0: right? Sorry, this is a tough one to <laughs> no, it's okay. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, obviously, from the piece, but also just witnessing this phenomenon that I just referred to about bitcoiners uh, being more interested in religion as a result of uh, you know falling down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And I agree with you that like I think we want easy answers because the world you know we, we contend with the eternal unknown every day, right the chaos of, of the future of the unknown. I mean the, the, the unknown will forever exceed the the known, and so we want like an answer like we want a a totem a pole to hang on to to orient ourselves around and that makes any system of values and any framework by which to do that very appealing all the more so if it comes from an authority you know and you're just little old me and look at this big authority institution infrastructure like I might as well just hitch my cart to that and to be fair that's probably worked out fairly well for a lot of people for many years. I mean, there's a reason why religions are so sticky, right? I mean, there's a reason why, if you go back to the earliest, you know, uh, civilizations that we have any idea about whatsoever. So let's say, I mean, you go back to like ancient Turkey 12,000 years ago, and you have like Gobekli Tepe in those areas, and those are religious institutions, it seems like. But you can go back to the more complex early uh, civilizations, like this Valley or Egypt or Sumeria and these sorts of places. And they're centered around the religious enterprise. And, you know, in our day and age, people dismiss that and be like, well, you know, they were kind of stupid back then. And so they thought there was a man in the sky and that was just part of their civilization. It's like, really? That's all the credit you're going to give them? All the other amazing things that they accomplished, whether it be architecturally or otherwise, you're just going to assume this blind spot like they just threw up an easy answer and it's somehow. Oriented the entire civilization for in some cases thousands of years. I think that's far too simplistic. I think there's a very central role of and and like like we just said. I mean, you can't avoid that a priori system like value framework for engaging the world. You just can't. As you said, like a lot of people today like to like to suggest or or try to suggest that it doesn't exist, and they're just completely. Just, they're just pure awareness without any limitations or parameters of, of, of value to guide their behavior at all. But you just, that doesn't exist. To go left or right, there's a value framework to decide that. And what these religious enterprises are attempting to do is determine which one is best. And I think if you actually look at these systems of, of thought and belief and philosophy from, you know, from earliest times up till now, there's a great deal of sophistication and wisdom embedded in them. Especially when deal. you go back to the cultural context in which they emerged. Like This is yeah. one thing
1: I say about when you put yourself in you know, the first century, Like some of these Christian principles were absolutely remarkable in terms of their push towards equality and inclusion and liberation. But as you look back in the year 2022, they don't so much look that way, but you have to, you have to put yourself back in that day and time to see how revolutionary some of these ideas were.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good point. And all, you know, I, I sometimes, I can only speculate about this, but I, we always, as you say, not being there, we miss the context. And so have you ever heard about the tribe 150,000 years ago, which was the first to use this hand signal, uh, pointing two fingers at the eyes, then pointing two fenders, fingers forward and then panning them horizontally? Have you ever heard of that tribe? No, no. you probably haven't. But it's entirely conceivable that at that time, just based on the evolution of their consciousness and being able to refer to themselves and their sight and directing their attention in a way that was formerly not able or not, they hadn't innovated that way of directing attention collectively as a, as a tribe of warriors, let's say, that quote unquote technology might have led to that tribe being the dominant tribe in a certain area for a time. But then because some other technology comes along and just supersedes it and whoops their asses, and there's no writing, there's no iconography, there's no anything at the time, that's lost to history. That innovation is gone. And so that's just an example of how you know, being in the context of the time gives you an entirely different sense of the gravity of the idea. And so as you say, like being there at the time, the idea would have probably had a far more significant appeal or power to it. Or the ideas rather than we currently you know uh, see or appreciate them, I also think it's the case that in the modern world, and maybe any anytime there's sufficient distance in in terms of chronology or history and time between two ideas or systems of thought, we take it all so literally and in my humble opinion, and I know this will not this will piss off a lot of religious folks, but I think they do it too, so like i'm not you have the group of people that oh, religion is silly and I'm a modern enlightened, you know, post-enlightenment thinker and I would never engage in that kind of stuff. It's all dumb. And then you have the people that are, you know, they adhere to the institution and dogmatism of the religious, you know, whatever religion it is. And they take every word of the sacred book, text, whatever, as literal. And I, my opinion is that's a mistake as well. I think it's pr- it, it, it could be the case that once these insights and ideas had emerged and been refined and and become sophisticated, you know, let let me preface it by saying this, I'm starting to appreciate the profound fundamental joy of having the right value framework in place for how it literally fills you up with some sort of grace and allows you to act better, for lack of a better term, in the world. And I think that's probably something, an element of what all of these enterprises were trying to get to, you know, call it experiencing the love and unity of, of the universe, or call it experiencing God consciousness, or, you know, that kind of a thing. And naturally, I think you would want to try to communicate that to others so that you can kind of nudge and help them along. I mean, what are we doing with Bitcoin when we have these conversations? I mean, it may not be your intention, but the effect might be, you know, people are listening, learning, and kind of being strung along but i think it's at a certain point the institutions that may have been altruistically oriented at the beginning with such a such a pursuit you know power corrupts and we're corruptible and once you get at, at the helm of an institution that has such great influence over how people think and how they behave well it's almost inevitable they become corrupt and so i think on both sides we're kind of misinterpreting the religious mm-hmm. enterprise by and large today and so my Point of view on it which i express a little bit in the piece is just that we can't do without an a priori value framework it there is nothing that matters more than that a priori value framework in terms of determining how you feel and the type of life that you are able to generate and as a result we should be very careful about being too quick to judge and dismiss the work that's been done prior to us on those a priori value frameworks. So what I think we should do is we should investigate them for whatever insight we can derive from them and then combine it with this crazy unprecedented unprecedented phenomenon that is bitcoin that seems to have a relevance in that pursuit. I don't know exactly what it is yet. I obviously make a fairly strong assertion in the piece, but let's just if I if I take a step back from it, I think there's a relevance to that process of de- determining the best a priori value framework. I think Bitcoin is is relevant in that process. And so with that being said, I think our task is to not do the immediately gratifying thing, which you alluded to earlier, which is take a dogmatic faith or religion or tradition off the shelf, integrate it, be- because it's going to be useful and it's going to feel good. But if your commitment is to the, the maximal truth you're possible of comprehending or feeling or even becoming, is that the right approach, or is the right approach to continue, you know, collecting these insights and, and trying to derive meaning from them, and implementing them as you find them, and and slowly shifting and, and narrowing in that framework so that it's more precisely targeted in the or some kind of origin point, and let let the Whatever emerges as a result of that, as a result of people engaging in that pursuit together, let it emerge naturally rather than saying, I'm, you know, because and I want to be careful here because I do think there's a not only a lot of insight, but a lot of benefit in something like Christianity if you approach it properly. Yeah. And, And again, properly is very amorphous, but let's just leave it there for now. And a lot of Bitcoiners are doing that. And I think, like I said, I think that leads to a lot of principles by which to orient yourself to have a very healthy, stable, strong life and culture. But I just think given the way I see these, uh, this process unfolding over the course of time, I think it's an evolution. And I think that you know, wh- whether we go from the iconography and the spiritual, quote unquote, pursuits of caveman days, and then we come all the way up to something like Gobek- Gobekli Tepe, and then we come up to Egypt, and then we come up to Christianity. And then we come up to now, we have all those insights available to us and we have perhaps an evolved consciousness and we have this new phenomenon in Bitcoin that I just, I get the overwhelming sense that we're meant to kind of pull the the best of all those things together such that we can develop the next stage of that a priori value framework by which to better orient our lives, our cultures, our civilization by. And so that's what i'm interested in pursuing.
1: Yeah, I, I think i like everything you just said a lot. Um i th- i think one of the things i pull from what you just said was that it is this is where we get into the nuance and the gray and the complicated and the, and the answers aren't easy and that's as we approach these ancient value frameworks, right? There are we we as you said we need to approach them properly, right? There are components in these frameworks that are that transcend time. And hearken back to what we could use the word truth, and then there's unhelpful anachronisms that we need to shed, and that's where it gets complicated because when these systems are unwilling to adapt and change and meet the needs of the present day, like in, in your piece, you hint at just the onslaught of of new of change that will need to occur in the digital age. Right? Th- there has to be this willingness to adapt and change, and that's where getting into sort of more dogmatic instantiated, unchanging perspectives is really harmful, like to, this is going to rub a lot of religious Christian folks the wrong way, but like, I find, you know, the inerrancy of scripture as a totally unhelpful and counterproductive way to view the Bible, right? The Bible is, I often call it, it's beautiful, but it's also very dangerous. And when you approach it from, this is how it is, it's unchanging, whatever spectrum you are on inerrancy, that's concerning. So this is sort of what confronts us now is like what do we what do we do? And there's no easy answers. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but at the same time, we have to remember these are, you know, these books were written thousands of years ago.
2: I think we need to remember too that humanity in general hasn't changed much in thousands of years. We're still the same people we were. If any one of us was born 2000 years ago, we would be exactly what we are now just with way less technology and But the point I'm getting at is is as we draw down our reserve of ideology as far as religion's concerned, we leave a void. And that Mm -hmm. void is generally filled with something. And I have a a hunch that this void has gotten filled in the last fifty to a hundred years with more and more state worship as it you know what I'm saying? Like it people kind of worship the state in a way that they maybe didn't do a couple hundred years ago because they had a religion filling that void or that that need for someone to be patriarchal in their life, you know, outside of their family. They had this like pulling for something greater. We all have that fundamental thing that makes us human, which is our ability to all work together in large groups. And I think it's dangerous in order for, for us to change our worship from some theoretical being that generally has a good um script for us to follow to generally be decent human beings to worshiping a state which is changing and may or may not have people in charge that are that have our best interests in mind all the time. Yeah.
0: yeah. I totally agree with you, of course. And I think it's also we can continue to use the 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 way we've been looking at this and say that because by whatever reason I think we all recognize whether well, maybe it's just because we're a little old me in a big old chaotic world, universe, whatever. And so you're always going to at least recognize, even subconsciously, that you are subject to a higher power than yourself call it the universe, call it God, call it the state. And so you're kind of determining, well, which higher power am I going to be most subservient to? And not subservient in like, I'm going to do its bidding, but which one am I just going to recognize is more powerful than me? Right. And so that has an influence on you in, in some capacity. And I think, as you say, a lot of people as religion got so, I mean, I'm, I think it's been so and I, I understand it, right? So I'm not hating on people. And I was one of them, right? You know, fifteen years ago reading Sam Harris Dawkins. Oh my God, that's totally. all so ridiculous. Yep. But just been there. so it's such an arrogant and hubristic take on all this stuff to do away with five thousand years of the most dedicated thought and the focal point of civilization, be like, Well, I'm a twenty-five-year-old and I just read a book and this all seems pretty stupid. So, you know, I'm I'm I figured it out, you know. Yep. I think it's 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 so arrogant, but I think If you do that and you dismiss it so easily, another one's going to fill a void, as you say, and I think it is the state. And what do you know? That you then adopt the state's a priori value framework. So you conform to the values of the state rather than conforming to the values of, let's say, a quote unquote God that has different principles instantiated or communicated through it. And so this is, I think this is part of the reason why we see such a collective mindset in the era of big state and big government and fiat era, because you're unknowingly to you adopting the value structure that's that supports and serves the state, but not necessarily you or the individual. And this is the great you know divide, it seems, or at least one of them of our time. And so I think part of the reason that we're looking at Religions more seriously now is because we're realizing that the state is crumbling, and so even those people that had kind of placed that on the highest pedestal are maybe realizing that it's either not going to be there forever or that it shouldn't be there forever and you know what should what we what, what should we, we look to to aid us or fill that necessarily filled you know kind of void and that here we are discussing these very topics you know the thing I love about Bitcoin
1: too back to like how these value frameworks emerge is it comes up from below not from above right it's such an organic process right it's I mean just just the origins of Bitcoin I mean I've got the the white paper up behind me in my basement it's just absolutely remarkable how somebody you know this this meek and obscure can just release just code into the into the wild and it can just emerge up from the bottom which is just harkens back to the power of freedom and markets to decide, right? And and I think yeah. that's that's one of the keys is like allowing these frameworks to to happen organically instead of like sort of artificially from top down. Yeah.
0: You know, it's interesting. I agree, but you could look at it in the way that Satoshi came up with this and created it and it was successful. But I think again, part of the religious enterprise and it is asking the question and Observing behavior, observing interaction, observing social interaction, observing individual satisfaction and happiness and joy and that kind of stuff. And when you are able to extract insights from behavior that consistently results in a certain way, the question becomes why is that the case? Why is it that it's those behaviors or those values or those principles that lead to the best outcomes? And, you know, I think you have to kind of conclude that by whatever order is, has caused the, the reality we experience to coalesce in, in the way that it has, it almost seems like it must value those things more such that it's able to emerge, right? It's like Satoshi, Satoshi didn't create reality, he found a way for something to exist and conform to that reality, mm. to the, world, the physical world we have and the digital landscape, but it, it still begs the question, what parameters even make it such that something like that is so successful and is so valued? And again, this is kind of we 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 wind up in religious territory, and yeah. this and these are the religious assumptions. But you could also, you know, for the more uh, science, you know, not scientific minded, because as I mentioned in the piece, I think religion is actually far more scientific than people give it credit for. But for let's say the non-religious folk, I mean, you could just I think say that. The things that become successful on whatever scale of existence or reality you want to look at are the ones that most efficiently conform to and therefore are able to maneuver through the parameters or rules or limits of that scale of reality, right? It kind of harmonizes with the scales in which it's nested in, right? And so you could look at that on the scale of human behavior in the social world. We could look at that on solar systems on the scale of a, a galaxy or a galaxy on the scale of a, you know, a, a cluster or a nebula or whatever the hell it is. It's, it begs the question: Why is that mode of operating successful? And as and because they all seem nested within one another, this is how truth kind of gets connected a, across scales. And m- maybe you call that godly principles or godly order of some kind, or maybe you don't. You just say, Hey, isn't that funny? That certain principles seem to link up reality across scales, you know. And if you can determine how to, at your scale of action and existence, align with those same principles, there's a high chance that it's going to lead to that thing being successful in the form of efficiently engaging with and, uh, yeah, en- engaging and aligning with the reality at your scale. Something like that, yeah. you know. So- Maybe that's less of a-, you, you, make a me, of. you make me
1: think of Rob Bell, who I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a, he was a pastor of a massive evangelical megachurch and then kind of left that space and now is just sort of a spiritual thought leader. Huge fan of Rob Bell, by the way, all of his stuff. Shout out to, shout out to Rob Bell. But he basically talks about how the universe is just, if you, if you look at nature mankind everything it's moving towards ever increasing complexity and order right if you really zoom out on a macro level and i kind of view it's like what is what is the driving force behind that move towards greater complexity and order in the universe right when you look mm-hmm. at the solar system when you look at galaxies when you look at evolution right when you look at the trajectory of mankind over the last 20,000 years and there, there's Bitcoin fitting right into that trend. Like Bitcoin is going to move humanity towards even greater complexity and order, I believe. And it's just this kind of never-ending march that direction. What that impulse is, what's driving that, the, you could say, universal rules that are governing the universe, that is the cosmic question of the day that has no quick answer, but it's absolutely worth everybody's time in exploring. Like, isn't it crazy, guys, when you encounter people that don't even ask these questions? Like, this is back to just like, we're blessed to have the freedom, time, energy, and disposition to ask these questions. But people that never ask the question, what the fuck is going on in the first place? Like, it it blows my mind that there's tons of people. You could almost say a majority of people that don't even think this way.
2: Just the scale of things. If you're not completely in awe to think about how small you are on even just this earth and how small that is in the schema of the solar system and the galaxy, and that there's hundreds of billions of galaxies just that we've seen with Galileo, the Hubble, I'm sorry, the Hubble's telescope. It's it's absolutely nuts. And speaking of that, well, I'm really pumped for the uh, James Webb telescope that's going to be working soon. I think he's going to show us
0: a lot more cool shit. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, this is why we all have so much trouble in normy social environments these days, right? Like, this is why we got to do these podcasts because when we're sitting around in normy environments and people are talking about, God knows what, we're just, you know, we're shaking like, I gotta, gotta talk about something Gotta else. get to depth, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, I think, I mean, I I agree with that. And I think you might characterize those principles as actually the thing that resists the entropic force of the universe to generate order, right? Because you have these this pull, push and pull where, you know, the universe, there's an impulse to entropy, right? It's just kind of expanding and it's by no means necessarily order i mean it's kind of like anything could happen there but there is that's what life kind of does right like yeah, life the only anti-entropic thing I, th- I believe is life yeah well you might say that you know how galaxies form is on again on what scale are you looking if you if you narrow in they're smashing into each other and there's you know uh stars are exploding and all that kind of stuff but if you zoom out you see order you know and so yeah Uh, What level is entropy being resisted in order to generate order? I think that if somebody was going to argue with that, though, they would say
2: everything is trending towards zero as far as temperature. So on a largest, grandest scale, you could say entropy still rules because we are- Yeah, you could say that with human beings too, right? Yes, absolutely. But from my understanding of some of the things I've read, life is literally the only thing that's provably um, not entropic, at least on a subscale. But I don't want to argue with you two giants. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, no, it's, a, I mean, it's a good question. I'm, I'm going to no pretend means. like
2: I have an opinion and I have
1: absolutely no idea what you're talking about. So I'll, I'll stay here. Josh, I cracked a book on the physics on the cover. I was, I was holding my weight. I was swimming in the deep end here and you guys just went too cosmic for me. I'm out, I'm <laughs> out over my skis now. Sorry, the shrooms yeah. just kicked
0: in for me. Nice. Nice. I want to just one, one piece on that, um, Whatever that force is, right? we're not going to sit here and figure it out like you know uh, the relationship between uh, entropy and order and you know again, is that an impulse of that you might call something like God, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but what's interesting is that it keeps showing up, and that's part of the point that I make in the latter part of the part of the piece, whereby I say like, for where was Jesus during the time of the dinosaurs well. Obviously, conceptually, he was not there. Now, maybe, you know, again, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. Maybe God existed in just that form elsewhere. He was riding dinosaurs. (laughs) Right, right. But, and then, so the caveman showed up, and their only means of expressing these core, you know, truths or even getting to the place where they even might start that is getting to grips with their own self by, you know, painting, outlining their hands on cave walls or, or painting like therianthropic anthropic figures that are half human and half animal to, to kind of represent both the recognition of myself, but also these impulses or emotions that exist within me as well. And so this is this process of having a self-awareness, developing a, a more complex self-awareness. And then you fast forward a bit and you have a, a culture emerge, a more complex culture, and in that culture, those ideas and more refined form show up again. And here they are in far more sophisticatedly laid out in something like, let's say, the Bible and the, the, the Christian uh, view of things. And then we have this new, and so that human culture is a landscape. That dinosaur era is a landscape. And so every time a, new, a novel landscape emerges, it seems like if it's going to have any legs, if it's going to have any staying power, these su- certain principles get injected in or emerge within them. And here we are on the precipice of what I I don't think is a very controversial thing to say that we, our ancestors are going to be living in digital environments increasingly, right? Like that's been the case with us, right? we When we were kids, we s- sat on the edge of the couch and watched the TV. And then the, the screen just keeps getting closer and closer and more of our life and more of our attention is devoted to it. And then it'll be in an eye overlay and then it'll be in a Neuralink implant. And then at least part, it seems like we'll be more immersed in digital environments and more of those signals we were talking about earlier will be digital in nature and not, you know, meat space in nature. And so that is a, and that environment is near limitless, right? It's not like the limits of this on the scale of the earth, but that environment can be infinite because it's at the behest of our own imagination and creativity. And so in that, so there's this expanded new landscape. And in, you know, Either imbued into it or emerging from it is again those principles that allow for, for better order and coordination and organization to form. And maybe that's necessary for that landscape to be successful long term. Because maybe without those, it degenerates into chaos and de- destruction and, and it right. never takes hold. But here they are, whether it's the culture we create in meat space or the culture and, and landscape we create in the digital realm, these principles must necessarily emerge in some immutable form in order to advance the entire cause, something like that. Yeah. As we um, kind of round out here, I wanted to ask you,
2: this is something I've been wanting to ask a lot of guests, especially ones that I'm really interested in. What, uh, what book do you recommend? Do you have anything that uh, you've read recently or something that really sticks that you think is, you'd recommend?
0: For sure, you know I got us. I know this has been recommended before, but I was at um, jujitsu class today, and some some people I had visited recently for some from somewhere else, and they donated some books, and one of them was the Sovereign Individual. I was like, holy shit! Like, you know, because you so don't often like, see the Sovereign Individual in the wild, yeah, right? Yeah, and oh so yeah. I I told everyone like, you got to read this book. So that's definitely one of them. Um. the ones that stick out to the most, and I don't think these are going to be applicable to a mature audience, but uh, the two when I was a kid that had the biggest impact on me, one was The Hatchet. It was just like, you know, it was a third grade sort of book where this this guy gets lost in the wilderness and he has to fend for himself, right? He has to hunt food. He has to, uh, you know, make fire, make shelter, all that kind of stuff. And that always stuck with me. And I, you know, either because I had an independent streak prior to that, or maybe it awakened it in me, but like it left an impression, like you need to be able to be self-sovereign. You need to be able to take care of yourself. And then the, the giver was another one that I read, you know, I guess in grade five or something like that. And I don't even really remember much about it, but I think the main punchline is like, it was almost empathy is that this man was able to imbue in the kid, uh, the experience of somebody else and if you want to really understand yourself and if you really want to have any hope at develop you know developing a high fidelity value framework like we've been discussing i think it's integral that you're able to empathize and understand other people cuz for one reason ultimately we're all the same you know once you boil it all down and so if you can understand yourself and then empathize with the situation and circumstances and all that kind of stuff of other people I think you're in a much better position to orient yourself properly, let's say. The last one is Maps of Meaning, which I, I reference in the piece. But I mean, that, that's I that's the, get most to. Ama- that's the most amazing book that's ever been written as far as I'm concerned. I was going to
2: say what really struck me, the, the line, I have started reading Maps of Meaning. It's just one of those books I kind of come back to because it's a tough, it's, it's kind of dense. Yeah. So I have to kind of take a break.
0: I'm on a break right now, but anyway, kind the point of dense I'm trying to get—an understatement. it's, yeah. it's not in, dense. It's not dense what? in the way like like early, like the first half of Sovereign Individual was oh, yeah. maybe a bit dry. Mm-hmm. Right. It's dense in the way that every line is so perfectly written, and it's, you really got to stop and think, exactly. and then move on to the next one. That's
2: what I was going to comment on. The ones that you picked out for your piece—they're almost like biblical. In the way that like there's like multiple layers of meaning built into each one of th- it is pretty yeah. incredible how how deeply thought through that book was. And I know he spent like twenty years writing it and it shows. Where do you think
1: he's at on the Bitcoin journey, Ballas? I mean, you've talked to him, you've had the the privilege of speaking with him.
0: Where do you think he's at? Let me, let, me answer that. let me answer that in one sec, but I just want to say this about his book. You know, I think towards the end, he, writes, he includes a letter that he wrote to his dad about how it's been going, you know, writing the book. And he says, like, I think I've discovered something or put together an understanding that has never been put together before. And the whole thesis of the book is how our levels of understanding about the most the deepest, most important things, like a value framework, uh is so important and evolves over time and he in the in that book i think like if you have and this is a, a pretty big statement but as far as us understanding ourselves and our own behavior if you put the bible here like he makes the assertion that what philosophy is trying to do is trying to kind of contextualize and tease out and figure out what's valid about this level of things and kind of critique it and that kind of stuff and i think his is like the overarching perfect contextualization for what that enterprise is. Now, what that means for how we move from from there is yet to be determined, and it's part of the discussion we've been having today. And I, it's so fun, like, I think it'll be one of those cases, you know, sometimes I can't think of a perfect example right now, but you hear in history, like, we don't praise their work until a couple hundred years, like yep. a couple hundred years after they die. And then, you know, we're like, oh my God, they were the most incredible thinker ever. Uh, I think, I mean, hopefully it won't be, after he dies. But there was certainly no splash for that book. I mean, mainstream, nothing took note. Nobody gave a fuck. It didn't receive like a Pulitzer accolades, anything. I don't even think it did very well commercially. And then he became popular for other reasons. And still, like his two more recent books are far more popular. But I think at some point, humanity is probably going to wake up to just the the sheer wisdom that is contained in that book. And it's going to going to be a game changer. I mean it's a game changer for me and that it, it, it was a big part of the underlying thesis of the piece. And so um, and in terms of his thing, you know, his progress with bitcoin, I always knew, you know, based on my familiarity with his, his uh, lectures and his book that once he once it got a hook in, like once that first time where he it, it had validity in his mind, it was game over cuz his he, he just wouldn't be able to let it go. Like his mind would just be turning um, and I think that's what's happened. I don't know what the initial hook was. I know when we spoke to him, we threw a lot of different ideas at him. And, you know, he's got so I mean, there's he's doing so much and has so much on the go. I don't know how much time he has for that, you know, thinking on Bitcoin, but it's very clear he's starting to see the benefits of it, you know, in terms of not being able to be stopped and, you know, being incorruptible. And it's so well, aligned with so many of his ideas, you know, as representative maps of meeting and, he, and others that he's articulated and, and uh, delivered since. Um, you know, I, I, I would love it if, you, if he ever got around to reading the piece because I'd love to hear his feedback on it, you know, cr- critical or otherwise. I was thinking the same
1: thing. I was like, man, I hope Peterson gets his hands on this at some point.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, he definitely has the link because I we were emailing back and forth yesterday because he was trying to put me in touch with uh, Brian Peckford, who's doing the constitutional challenge in Canada, who he recently had on his podcast. And I just told him like, I, cause when we spoke, I, I said I was working on something and I'd love to send it to him when I was done. And he said, absolutely. And so I just told him yesterday, like it occurs to me, I, I didn't actually send this over. So here it is. And you know, Heck yeah. we'll see. We're in the midst of it. <laughs> um, so basically, earlier you you were ba- essentially
1: saying vallis that we need to update the scriptural canon. Like you you finish Revelation, you flip to Maps <laughs> of Meaning. Uh,
0: that's essentially <laughs> two thousand know, years later. Just look. I mean, maybe it's it's the least controversial way to put all this. Might be if we survive, right? If human beings get through the Great Filter, do you think in ten thousand years from now we're going to have the exact? Same value framework as we have today? Not a chance. Probably not. So this this thing is clearly an evolution of understanding, not something to be white knuckled forever and ever. And so I think that process is taking place every day, and maybe in certain periods of of history and life, it more happens, and other periods it's it's slower. But I definitely, you know, if if we can roughly say, at least in the Western world, it's been two thousand years since we've really full like fundamentally upgraded it well may it might be about time it it seems to me like maybe we're in a period where it's it's being upgraded and who knows what's going to come from that yeah we will uh we'll link the
1: conversation you had with jordan in the show notes you and the other gentleman because it was really fun for me to watch him sort of encounter this thing for the first time. Like the he questions was able,
2: he was asking, man. Yeah, were, he latched on so fast. It was incredible. Oh, I know. Yeah, You
0: know, it's funny. I, even looking back on that, that was, um, May, 2021, I think, um, you know, I look back at the things that I was saying there and, and this is an idea of how fast the evolution of this thing goes. I was like, man, that you really you could have said that better or you could have like, you know, uh, frame things a bit differently. But I think this is always going to be the case for all of us, right? Like you guys might look back a year from now and be like, Oh, I'm such an idiot. But in terms of how he responded, I totally agree. Like he got a little piece and then he recurred, like he, he uh, thought about it and sent it back to us. And like the way he saw it so quickly I've never seen anything like it. Like I've never seen anybody you kind of first encounter some of the, the ideas in Bitcoin, like yeah. proof of work mining, for example. That was a great one. And then the extrapolate podcast. like how that has an effect on energy, like immediately, crazy, exactly. exactly, yeah, exactly. Took you me know, months so, and hundreds of hours of reading <laughs> to even start to. Make I had perfection. to be
2: spoon fed, just spoon. Yeah, I mean, fed. he's
0: he's the go. He's one of the goats, right? Like he's just he's. I know he's imperfect and he's a human like the rest of us, but he's. He's a fucking beauty, you know, so I love him and, uh, I, I can't, I, I'm enjoying watching this process of him falling further and further down the rabbit hole. Valis, we could talk to you for like days. This was, this was <laughs> awesome.
1: Seriously. And the best part is we sent you like 10 or 11 questions and I think we got, we got to like, like three or four. two. Yeah, so,
0: maybe. uh, that's, we well, kind of worked, worked
2: them in organically. Yeah. You
1: know? It's yeah. dude, it's fun to find kindred spirits, people on this same journey that are hungry to investigate and try out ideas together. So thanks for spending almost an hour and a half with us, man.
0: I couldn't agree more, guys. Uh, I love what you guys are doing. It's, a, it's always amazing to connect with, with other Bitcoiners. And uh, I don't think there's anything more uh, worth talking about. So if you guys want to do it again sometime, just let me know and we can go for a round two. We would, would love
1: it. You. Plug, yeah. your, plug yourself here at the end. Where can people find you and interact with your ideas?
0: I guess just on Twitter. J O H N K V A L L I S is my handle, and they'll find all the other stuff from there. Awesome. Cool. And Thanks, keep up John. the
2: good work for the Freedom Convoy up there in Canada.
0: Yeah. I love I'm, it. I'm rooting I'm rooting for them and trying to spread their message because um I think, you know, I don't this is a they're not gonna win the war, let's say, you know, there's there's that's gonna take longer, but this could be a very significant battle for freedom and it could really Create some momentum in the proper direction where it's been going in the wrong direction for so long, in my opinion. So, yeah, I really hope they stick it out and they stay peaceful and they they hold a a mirror up to the dishonest, um, you know, uh, power hungry politicians and institutions all over and media all over the world. And the more they do that, the more those institutions. Lose their power because they're discredited in the mi- minds of more and more and more and more people. So yeah, uh, go truckers, I guess. Hong Kong. Hong Kong.
1: <laughs> Take care, John. See you. See you guys. Thanks so much for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to like or subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts or on YouTube. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. We are also active on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC. And our email address is blue collar at gmail.com. We invite questions, comments or inquiries of any kind. We look forward to you joining us again on the BCB podcast.